Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. What makes a house feel like a home isn't merely what's in it, but who lives there, people and their animals. In fact, a Pew Research Center study published just this July showed that 62% of Americans have pets, and half of all pet owners consider their animals family members. It makes sense, then, that domestic violence affects humans and pets. Yet in most cases, shelters for people escaping such violence don't have dedicated space or resources for furry, feathered, or scaled family members that also need protection and provide invaluable support for their humans. Here to share why that keeps so many in abusive relationships and environments and what's being done to address that, we have Mary Ann Owens, Executive Director of the Women's Safe House. The Women's Safe House in St. Louis is set to become one of only a few shelters in Missouri and the only emergency shelter in the greater St. Louis area to welcome pets. And welcome to you, Marianne. Thank you. We also have Sarah Newton, who's an ambassador for the Women's Safe House and Duo Dogs. She is herself a survivor of domestic violence. Welcome to you, Sarah. Thank you so much. And thank you both for joining today's program. So uh, I want to talk about sort of the moment of, of realization. When was it that you realized it was important to keep pets and people together um, particularly the women and children who seek shelter at the Women's Safe House. Marianne? I was aware of that probably a couple of years ago when women would call the Safe House crisis line and want to bring their family there so that they would be safe. And then they would ask, can I bring my dog? Can I bring my cat, my gerbil, or whatever? And the answer was always no. Mm-hmm. And then the women would say, then we cannot come. Okay. They were choosing to stay in an abusive relationship and in an unsafe home just because they couldn't leave their animals. Mm -hmm. And does that line up with what you were hearing as an ambassador? Absolutely. So um, as a survivor of domestic violence, it's been something that I've heard from multiple survivors that they won't leave because they can't bring their pets with Mm -hmm. them. The pets, like you mentioned earlier, are part of the family. So this is a crisis that we're recognizing and that we're making a change for. Mm -hmm. And What is it specifically that they say about why they cannot leave their pets? Um, The majority, about 70% of um, people who are fleeing from domestic violence say they can't leave um, because their abuser is targeting their animal to Mm -hmm. get control of them. Okay. And that that had been happening before even thinking about leaving? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And apparently 50% of women stay in abusive relationships because of fear of leaving their pet. Marianne, you had mentioned that it was about a couple years ago Mm -hmm. that you were getting these calls. So that was about the time uh, that we were kind of getting closer to the end of the pandemic. Was there something about that timing that seemed to affect the, the volume of calls you were getting? 
Well, yes, it did, because during COVID, women really didn't have an opportunity to get a moment where they could make a confidential call, like calling the woman's safe house. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we were at half capacity because of COVID. But about the time that we were back to full capacity, I became aware of this. And I also became aware that one of our women was trying to keep her dog in her car. Okay. And obviously that wasn't fair to the dog or to the family. Right. So it just became a a dream that we of mine that we had to do something about this situation. Mm-hmm. Now, was there anything that you were observing, sort of larger trends, um, or that you were having conversation with other domestic violence prevention and intervention advocates when it came to this? Yes, I belong to the Missouri Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Abuse, and I meet with other directors, and we all oftentimes talked about this, but there was a, there is a shelter in Kansas City that you can bring animals, but when I talked to the other women that ran the local shelters in St. Louis, none of them had the ability to be able to accept pets, mm-hmm. and I felt like we had the area, we could do it, and it was something that we really needed to do to better serve our community. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, as a, an ambassador, you are out there, mm-hmm. and you are out there with Mishka, mm-hmm. who's your husky, mm-hmm. and Mishka is also with us in studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't do a sound check with her, but she is she is here, safe and sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do, do you find that people are more willing to talk with you because of Mishka? Yeah, I think it's kind of half and half. You know, when I first, or when we first started visiting the Women's Safe House back in twenty twenty one. There were a few women and children who were afraid of Mishka, and that was difficult to navigate. But now I'm happy to report those same people who were afraid of her love her. Mm -hmm. So Mishka has been able to provide comfort and support to all the women and children at the Women's Safe House. And as her mom, uh, it makes me very proud to Mm -hmm. see her doing the work that she does. Mm -hmm. So you then found refuge with Mishka Mm -hmm. at the Women's Safe House. Marianne, before you were getting these calls, I mean, were there things that you were doing at the Women's Safe House to accommodate maybe some of the smaller pets? Um, practically, how are you dealing with things? Well, we didn't accept any pets except service animals until starting when our shelter is done, and it will be done around the end of December. We will not only accept dogs and cats, but we will take birds and lizards mm-hmm. and gerbils, <laughs> whatever is a valued pet and a part of that family with the families that come to us. Right. So the, the feathered, fur scaled, yep. all of yep. that. All of it. And I hear that there was a groundbreaking there on the was. new facility this morning. What was that like? Um, it was so exciting for me. I woke up many hours before I usually do because I couldn't wait for this morning. This was a dream come true for me mm-hmm. because it's something that we want our our residents that live with us to make it their home because we say an emergency shelter, but the average day is about six months. Mm-hmm. So we want it to be home for them. And it's going to be much more of a home if they're there with their treasured pets and they're able to be together as a family with the women, children, and their pets. Mm-hmm. And Sarah, you were there to deliver an address? I was, yeah, yeah. What did you talk about? Yeah, so I shared my own personal story about being a survivor of childhood domestic uh, and sexual abuse, um, which is always very, you know, hard to discuss. It's a stigma that people don't want to talk about. So mm-hmm. I was able to share my story, share about the work that we do at the Women's Safe House, as well as talk about duo dogs. Mm-hmm. And who all was there? 
it was overwhelming the support that we have from the community. Um, Megan Green, the president of the Board of Aldermen, she was there today. We had Kim Bradley. She is a community relations person from Nestle Purina. And Nestle Purina actually granted us $60,000 as seed money to begin this project. We had um, Representative LaDonna um, Applebaum there today. We had other people from the Board of Aldermen. We had a lot of support from our community. That's what enables us to do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And speaking of community and support, for the new kennel, you've received funding from Purina through the Purple Leash Project and Red Rover, which I believe is... It's part of Purina, mm -hmm. yes, yes. And the Mary Kay Foundation. We did, we did. So uh, what kind of support have you received from them? Um, Financial support. Okay. Um, we actually received a grant for $60,000 from Red Rover and Purina. Mary Kay gave us a grant of $20,000. Mm-hmm. Then we've had um, three people, and Sarah is one of them, actually adopt one of the kennels so that they can name it after their own pet. Oh, okay. And that's something that we've had $5,000 donations to adopt a kennel. We still have one to be adopted if anybody is interested, <laughs> always. And how would, how would one do that? Um, they could go to our website, which is... TWSH.org, mm-hmm. and they can certainly donate there. Okay. So let's get to sort of the, the bigger picture and the realities sort of by the numbers and anecdotes that people have shared. Now, nationwide, only 17% of domestic violence shelters accept pets. Mm-hmm. Marianne, why is that the case? It's not an easy thing to do. First of all, we have extra property where we can build a kennel. Um, It's not really realistic that the dogs can live 24-7 in the house with the families because some people are afraid, Mm -hmm. some people are allergic. So you have to really have a facility where you can house them. Of course, they will be allowed to come into the rooms and be with their families during certain times of the day, and the families will be able to walk them and, you know, take care of them. But it's not not practical. Mm -hmm. I mean... For most shelters, they don't have the space. We're fortunate that we do. It's an extra expense. You know, we're a non-for-profit organization. Sure. Everything costs more now. (laughs) Insurance, everything else. But it's something that we really, as a group, my board of directors and I and my staff, felt that we really needed to do this for our families. Mm -hmm. And what is it that we know about the connections between animal cruelty and domestic violence, Marianne? We know that if there's domestic violence in a home, that that dog, cat, or whatever the pet is, is probably being abused as well. But we also know that children that grow up in homes with domestic violence are more apt to abuse animals if they've witnessed that at home Mm -hmm. as adults. Sarah, what is it that you have heard from the the women and children Mm -hmm. that you have come into contact with about their experiences around you know, animal, animal cruelty and domestic violence? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're not easy conversations. Um, I've had conversations with some of the children who said, you know, I had to leave my dog or I miss my dog. So it's really navigating that and making them feel comfortable that now Mishka is also mm-hmm. their dog. So right. um, it's been tough, but it's also been heartwarming okay. to see them connect with Mishka. We're going to take a a really quick break here, but we are going to come back to this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. 
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Welcome back. Let's return to our conversation with Marianne Owens, Executive Director of the Women's Safe House, and Sarah Newton, an ambassador for the Women's Safe House and Duo Dogs, and also a survivor of domestic violence. Marianne, what are some of the things you most commonly hear from survivors when they walk in the door to the shelter? When they walk in the door to the shelter, they are beaten down emotionally, many times physically, and have suffered so much trauma that they're just really not even thinking straight at that moment. They just want to know that they're in a safe place and that they're going to be able to be safe from their abuser as well as have someone that will help take care of them. Mm -hmm. And it takes most women and children one or two days at least to just feel at ease enough to start using the services that we have to offer. Mm -hmm. And how much demand is there presently for your services right now? Um, We can accommodate 60 people at any given time. We are full every day, 24-7. We probably turn away five to ten families every single day Mm -hmm. because there's no space. Right. And you do not... You're turning them away because you don't keep a wait list, right? We do not keep a wait list. And why is that? Because we really can't safely call them and say, you can come in and have a room. We might call at the wrong time. If they happen to be the abuser in the room, they're going to be in more danger than they ever were. Mm -hmm. Because women are in more danger when they try to leave than when they're actually living in the situation. We do ask them to call us back daily when they get a chance because we want them to be safe to make that call. Mm -hmm. Sarah, you had mentioned the the experience that you have had personally um, when you were growing up. I mean, was your decision to work with the Women's Safe House after you went there for, for help yourself, was that informed by what you experienced and witnessed as a child? Absolutely, okay. 100%. So when I got the call that the Women's Safe House needed to um, have some pet therapy visits, I knew this was exactly where I wanted and needed to be. And it's been amazing, the impact that, I mean, Mishka's done all the work. I'm just, you know, her handler and her mom. (laughs) But the impact that she's made on the women and children is truly remarkable to see. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, you did not go there yourself? No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you were a child, Mm -hmm. did you have a a pet? And is that also part of what went into um, your decision to become an ambassador um, and and to work you know with Mishka in this work that you're doing now. Yeah, so I actually uh, fortunately I did not have a pet growing up, um, and I feel lucky for that that I didn't have an animal in that situation. And this has really been my calling. It's been something that is part of my core values to really help and av- advocate, not only for the Women's Safe House, but also for survivors for mm-hmm. domestic violence. And you had talked about the way Mishka's presence was appreciated even by those who initially were afraid of her, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit skittish. Mm-hmm. How did Mishka help you with your own healing? 
So I'm glad you asked that. She can be my own therapy dog at times. Um, We actually became a certified duo touch therapy team this past March. And the best part of that program is that I learned how to advocate for my dog, for myself, and really connect with others in the community to provide the support that they need. Mm -hmm. And what is touch therapy? Uh, So touch therapy is a portion of duo dogs where volunteers can come in with their personal animals and we get trained and certified to go out into facilities in the St. Louis metropolitan area to provide touch, literally touch therapy Mm -hmm. and support. So in addition to the Women's Safe House, we visit Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital for the staff. We do hospice visits and um, do a variety of community events. Mm -hmm. And Marianne, as you observe what is going on, how do you see um, Sarah and Mishka helping those who are at the shelter, whether they have their own animals or not? Because when they come, they're the most popular people that come to the shelter. (laughs) I mean, they really are. We bring in a lot of community resources. But when the children and the women hear the duo dogs, it's the night for them to be there. They're so excited because they really haven't had any any pets to love on or to love on them. Mm -hmm. And they just adore Mishka. And she's one of the most popular people. And she's a people dog at our shelter. Right. And... In the past, on this show, we've talked about how staff at animal shelters, for example, that they also they also need um, something to sort of give them some strength to keep going. Mm-hmm. And the emergency shelter is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Have you found that the animals being there has also helped your staff? It does. Our staff look forward to it as well as the women and children. You know, there's nothing, I mean, I have a dog. I love my dog. There's nothing more comforting for me when I come home from work and my dog, Fraulein, is waiting for me with her tail wagging. (laughs) And it's the same thing when we bring a dog into the shelter. It gives those children and women an opportunity to have that warmth and the feeling that I have with my own pet. Yeah. Now, Sarah, in addition to what you do with touch therapy, Mm -hmm. you also provide humane education. Mm -hmm. So what is that? And Is it a preventive measure as well as a therapeutic one? Absolutely. So uh, basically what we teach with humane education is how to approach a dog, how to look for signs if Mishka is becoming anxious, what to do, what not to do. And the children are very receptive to it, even the women and the staff. Um, Everyone, you know, will provide facts that they don't know. And it really becomes a teachable lesson as well as that unconditional support and love. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the positive outcomes that come from that? Mm-hmm. It really is the children and the women, their comfortability with Mishka. Um, again, when we started a few years ago, there was one woman who was terrified of Mishka, just didn't want to be near her. And I said, that's mm-hmm. fine. You can look at her from afar. Fast forward to a year later, we had a volunteer reception and the same woman was there. And she said, I can't believe I was afraid of this sweet girl. Yeah. So it's really transformative. So one of the things I wonder then Are there instances in which people are also afraid of dogs in particular because they have been used by abusers? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is a um, misconception that all dogs are bad. I don't believe that there's a bad dog. I believe there's bad people who Mm -hmm. turn that dog into a bad dog. Mm -hmm. So educating the children and the women that 
you know, this is how an animal should be treated, I think is very important, especially in recovery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that I just wanted to add to that. I think also the children that have lived in a home and watched their pet being mistreated, Mm -hmm. they learn from Sarah and Mishka how they really should treat an animal. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. I think it's transformative for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So on this point of education and awareness, Um, Marianne, before you came to St. Louis, you worked in Southeast Missouri. I did. And I realize it's been many years since you made that move, but have you observed any significant differences in the way domestic violence plays out or gets talked about, or maybe not, in rural and urban settings? It's very different. Um, When I first started in this field, it was in the mid-90s in rural Missouri, and people didn't want to talk to me about it. They didn't want to talk about domestic violence. I would ask to come to the Rotary meeting, and they'd be, well, why why should we have you there? We don't want to talk about this. It doesn't happen here, but it did happen there. So it is a whole different—it's a different— game now. People are talking about domestic violence. Communities understand it's a problem that we all have to face and work to solve. Mm -hmm. Now, when you moved from Southeast Missouri to St. Louis, you worked for Girl Scouts of USA for some Uh time. And while you were there, you built a um, project anti-violence education program. Uh I did. And it was meant to empower young girls and help them understand early signs of abuse and then how to get help. Why was this important to you? When I made the change from running the shelter in Southeast Missouri to come and work for the Girl Scouts, I grasped an opportunity. Actually, Governor Bond at the time was leaving, had some money that you could write a grant and receive to do anti-violence education. And I wanted to get that happening in the St. Louis public schools, all of the schools in the greater St. Louis area. It's a preventive measure. If we teach the girls, but not only the girls, but the boys Mm -hmm. about respect, about anger management, about how to treat each other, then that's going to have less women needing our services. And it is education is important. And it is women more than men. More than men. Right. But there are But men are abused. Yes. 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 And children are abused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sarah, if you had had access to education like that when you were young, what Mm -hmm. difference do you think it could have made? I think it would have been hugely uh, powerful. You know, I could have stood up I mean, just being a child, it's hard to stand up to abusers. But um, unfortunately for me and my family, we did not have a women's safe house in our local community where we lived. And I quite often think about how different my childhood would have been if we had this resource that Mm -hmm. we could leave. Yeah. So Marianne, when you talked with producer Emily Woodbury, you noted that in the 1990s, people were not talking about domestic violence much. And then you also said that You haven't experienced domestic violence directly or personally. So what was your impetus for bringing conversation about the issue to the forefront? I... I just believe in supporting women. I mean, I was very aware that domestic violence was out there. I didn't experience it, but I knew people that did. Mm -hmm. And when I had the opportunity to um, really, I was a founder of the shelter. There wasn't any services in the part of Southeast Missouri where I was. I wanted to have that opportunity to help women and children Mm -hmm. because some, you know, it's kind of the old saying, someone has to do it. And if I hadn't stepped forward, maybe it would have never happened. And I, it's been a passion of mine ever since. Mm -hmm. What do you think accounts for people being more open to talking about this today, Sarah? I think what it comes down to is just survivors being strong, sharing their story. I always say that this 
you know, time in my life did not does not define my life. It's just a chapter. But it's up to me now to use my voice, talk about my experience, and encourage other victims and survivors that they are supported and they can come forward. Mm-hmm. And what do you think are some of the lasting effects of you know decades of silence or, or the stigma around talking about it? Well, domestic violence is is generational. Children that are raised in homes where there's abuse often become abusers or become an abused adult woman. So it is generational, and we really have to work as a movement to change that. Mm -hmm. We've got to protect the lives of our women and children. I mean, the stories that I hear are horrific of what these families have been living through. So they need the support to get out on their own. I mean, that's our goal at the Women's Safe House, to move them into their own home, free of violence, and have them be emotionally, financially, and in every way stable to start a new life. Mm-hmm. Now, in the last couple minutes here, what would be maybe one lasting myth or misconception about domestic violence that you would like to clear up or that you would You'd like people to understand better, Marianne? Um, I think there's a myth that it only happens in certain segments of our society. It happens to poor people. It happens to people of different races. And they don't think it happens in wealthy families or with professional families. That is truly a myth. Mm -hmm. It happens in all kinds of families. It really does. Sarah? Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. You know, it's not a, unfortunately, domestic violence, it's not race specific. It's not gender specific. It's, it happens more than we know. Um, You know, being one of the three women who experienced domestic violence in their lifetimes, I can attest to that, you know, we were not a poor family. We were a working family and it was something behind the curtain that nobody knew was going on. Mm -hmm. Marianne, to close here, what are you most looking forward to in the new year? I am looking forward to the next project that we have going at uh, the Women's Safe House. And we have some wonderful design firms from the community that are coming in, and they're refurbishing the suites where the women live and children. And they're going to have a beautiful surroundings to live in. And this is our community, again, coming together to support our mission. Marianne Owens is executive director of the Women's Safe House, and Sarah Newton is an ambassador for the Women's Safe House and Duo Dogs, and a proud survivor and a supporter of those who are going through domestic violence. Sarah, Marianne, and Mishka, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.